Yeah. Okay. My wife is. Yeah. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, Casey and King family. We're so glad you brought your family tonight and so good to see them again. And man, thank you for coming. It's just a tremendous group tonight. This this is probably close to what we had yesterday morning. So thank you all so much for coming. Appreciate it. See some of my uh, First Baptist Clinton friends here, and I appreciate them so much coming. I had the joy of being their interim pastor for a long time up until uh, February, and uh, I, got, I got attached to you guys, and so I'm glad to get to see you tonight, and I know things are going really well there, and just been a good day. You know, Monday's usually a, a slow night as far as revival, so I appreciate you all coming and being here. I know you've worked uh, really hard, and we're just praying God will bless your efforts, and, and uh, did, did y'all get any rain over here today? No? I live at Elk City. We had we had a six-inch rain at Elk City. I, I looked. I, I looked outside, and the raindrops were six inches apart. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, take whatever we can get. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn tonight to Revelation 2, Revelation chapter 2. And um, I want to speak about love tonight how important it is in the church. And I want to use the letter that Jesus uh, penned to the church of Ephesus. So if you need a title tonight, I'm calling this one, Love Grows Cold. And you see that in the church of, of Ephesus. And he said some things to that church that I think are, are good for us to hear and relevant for us to uh, come and look at tonight. So Revelation chapter 2 and... Um, in, in Revelation 1, we have this picture of Jesus. And then what Jesus does in Revelation 2 and 3, he writes seven letters to seven churches. And the first one is Ephesus. And that's the one we're looking at tonight. So chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Nevertheless, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, we pray you'll bless your word to our hearts tonight. Just send your Holy Spirit to be our, our teacher tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in this letter, you, you clearly see how love can grow cold. 
Sometimes love can be a very fickle thing. Uh, we know that sometimes people fall out of love in their relationships. Sometimes husbands and wives do. Uh, as a pastor many years, I would have couples come to me for counseling. And um, they were thinking of getting a divorce. And they would say things like, you know, I, I just don't love him anymore. Or I just don't love her anymore. Uh, people can fall out of love with their work. They can fall out of love with their hobbies. Sometimes love just simply grows cold. Now the tragedy of it is that this can happen spiritually as well. We see that in this text tonight. And we have other examples throughout the scripture. Um, probably the best example would be a guy by the name of Demas. His love grew cold for the Lord. If you trace Demas' life through the scripture, Paul mentions him three times in his letters as a, as a helper, as a worker. But the last time that he mentions Demas, he says this about him in 2 Timothy 4.10. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You kind of feel the heartbreak in the life of um, Paul as he says this. Because Demas was right by his side for a number of years. What happened? What made Demas leave Paul and go back to the world? Well, the scripture doesn't say. But... Um, if he lived in Ephesus, it certainly was a challenge to be a Christian in Ephesus. Um, that ancient world, much like our world today, was a challenging place to live the Christian life. Uh, Ephesus, the, the city that is mentioned here, was a wealthy city. had about 250,000 people that lived in Ephesus. It was a, a busy place with commercial life and trade and things like that. Um, Three major trade routes converged at that city, so it was a very important place. In fact, Ephesus boasted a major stadium, had a big marketplace, had a theater that we're told would seat 25,000 people. In fact, it had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana, the great mother goddess. And I think probably because of that and some other reasons, Ephesus was the home of all kinds of superstitious practices, and they were famous for magical arts. In fact, you can read about Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Paul ends up there uh, preaching the gospel. And uh, in Acts 19.9, it says, Paul entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading uh, them about the kingdom of God. And uh, the gospel began to take hold to the point that in Acts 19, verse 18, as the name of Jesus was being preached and magnified, listen to this. It says, many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So we have this little window into the life of Ephesus. Paul preached there, taught for um, 
three years. And in spite of um, the Temple of Diana and the superstition and the magical arts and all of that, this church that was founded had a great beginning. Uh, Paul probably established the church at Ephesus in the early uh, 60s, probably 60, 61 A.D. He spent three years teaching the Word of God there on his third missionary journey. Uh, their first pastor was a man by the name of Timothy. Remember Timothy, Paul's preacher boy. Um, other prominent believers at Ephesus were Aquila and Priscilla and a man by the name of Apollos. They had a great beginning. But here's the thing. They didn't finish well because this is written to a church who fell out of love with Jesus. But they didn't even know it because they had substituted activity for love. And so I want us to uh, unpack tonight what Jesus says to this church. Now, the first thing he does is commend them. Verses 1, 2, and 3, he says a lot of good things about them. Um, notice he uh, mentions Jesus, first of all, there. Uh, verse 1, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse 1 reminds us that Jesus is there and he knows what's going on in that church and in every church, right? He sees every strength, every weakness, and he speaks a message to them. In fact, and notice in verse 2, he said, I know your deeds. He knows every church. He knows our hearts. And he's still walking among his churches. Not only does he see Ephesus, Jesus sees First Baptist Church of Arapahoe, Oklahoma tonight. He says, I know your deeds. Now, what does he mean by deeds? Well, it's, it's a broad word, probably referring to the actual service and ministry uh, that they did there. I mean, these people... They were not shirkers, and uh, they were not jerkers who would start and quit. They were workers. He said, I know your deeds. I know your toil. This word toil in that verse means something deeper than just deeds. Toil here has the idea of an effort that produces work at the cost of pain. It describes an exhausting labor to the point of weariness. So he says, I know your toil, and I know your perseverance. In fact, he mentions perseverance twice in verse 2 and 3. This word perseverance has the idea to abide under, to abide under the load, uh, staying power when the burden was heavy. Uh, a good word picture of that day would be like a, like a donkey uh, who has this heavy load on him, and he's abiding under the load. He's, he's persevering, abiding under it. And this church was doing that. They were holding up under the hostility of a city at odds with their beliefs. Notice in verse 3, he, he says, You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. They were working to the point of weariness, but they were persevering. They kept on going. So they were a working church, but not only that, they were a believing church. In verse 2, he says, I know you cannot tolerate evil men. 
and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false. So not only was this a working church, this was a, a church outstanding for her doctrinal purity. They fought against deception and the inroads of false doctrine. The people in this church had the ability to distinguish between uh, true and false prophets. Uh, notice, in fact, what he says in verse 6. He says, yet uh, this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the, the Nicolaitans here, the Greek equivalent of this would be Balaam. If you remember Balaam in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, um, Balaam or the Nicolaitans is intended to describe a person who destroys the people of God. Uh, as Balaam did through the introduction of idolatry and immoral practices. That's what the Nicolaitans did. And Jesus says to this church, you didn't tolerate that. You were doctrinally pure. You had the ability to know true from false, and they would test the spirits. You know, we need to do that today as well, right? We need to understand there's a need for testing doctrine and preaching that the early church understood. Remember, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. And um, uh, John in 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he says some good things about them. There's this commendation there. They had not grown weary in their challenges and their difficulties. They were patient. They labored. They didn't faint. They were faithful. I mean, you, you look at Ephesus and you would think that um, uh, churches today should be like that and have those kinds of characteristics. You know, you look around today. Churches are active and energetic and, and busy. Uh, I'm sure if you looked at the annual church profile at the Church of Ephesus, that their, uh, their uh, statistics probably looked great. I mean, no doubt they led the uh, association, right, in budgets and buildings and baptisms. They were specialists in counting nickels and noses every Sunday. Uh, Jesus commends them for all of these good things. But one word changed it all. The first word in verse 4. King James says, nevertheless. The New American Standard Bible says, but. So you have this commendation, but this one word changes it in verse 4. And here is the concern. Notice what Jesus said in verse 4. You got all this going for you, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They left it. Notice he didn't say you lost your first love. He said you left it. And I want to talk about this word left. It's a very strong word. In fact, in other places in the New Testament, the word left here is translated as abandoned. You abandoned your first love because now you've got another love. You see, they were busy, but they were distracted. The old abounding joy was gone. The gladness of heart that characterized their spiritual lives was gone. Things were mechanical and, and routine. They were without enthusiasm and zeal. I mean, you could put it like this, Vance Havner says. Uh, that church started at 11 o'clock sharp, 
and ended at 12 o'clock dull. And maybe that's what happened at Ephesus. They were carrying out the active program of a busy church, but they had departed from the right motive, which is love for Jesus Christ. They had left it. They had abandoned it for something else. The love they once had had grown cold. Oh, they had programs, but they didn't have power. You see, loving devotion to Jesus can be lost in the midst of active service. You can be busy in the church and not love Jesus. And that's what was going on there. Uh, Orthodoxy could even be substituted for love. Activity can be substituted for love. Or ambition or power or the desire to control. You know, some churches today are like Ephesus, right? The, The activities are carried on as usual. But the lampstand is in danger of being removed. You say, well, what happened? What was the problem? Well, here's the problem. They had allowed the most wonderful experience in the world to become commonplace. There is no greater experience than that of salvation, of conversion. There is no greater thing in the world than for God to give you a new heart, for you to be born again. And they had allowed the most wonderful experience to become commonplace. You know, H.G. Wells uh, told the uh, story about a uh, prince. And um, this young prince had a beautiful wife, and she died. And so in her memory, the prince built a memorial stone, big stone. So he'd never forget her. Some years go by, and then he added an altar to it. And then some more years went by, and then he built a temple there. And then more years went by, and finally around it there was this lovely city. And as they begin to look, in the midst of all of this beauty, that original stone had sort of become out of place and insignificant. And so the prince eventually had it removed. But he built it as an honor of his love for his wife. But as the time went by, it became out of place. You know, our lives can get like that sometimes. We establish uh, the right priorities. But then as the years pass, we lose that first love in the midst of all of the other good things that we add. And the original is forgotten. That's what happened at Ephesus. They, They had left their first love. They're like a young man that I heard about. He called his sweetheart on the phone and he told her, he said, honey, I just want you to know, I would cross high mountains to be with you. I would walk on my, I would walk on glass on my knees to be with you. I would swim rivers of alligators to be by your side. And if it doesn't rain tonight, I'm coming over to see you. Love, first love. First love is a very intense love. It's consuming. Do you remember, guys, you remember when you first fell in love with your wife? Boy, I tell you what, I do. Special time for me. My, my wife and I, this October, we will have been married 51 years. And I first spotted her in ninth grade science class. But I, I didn't have the courage to ask her out till our senior year. 
And so senior year of high school, I asked her to go out with me. She said no the first time. So, so you got to be persistent sometimes, right? So I, I just kept on. And finally she said uh, yes. And we were high school sweethearts. And um, we graduated from high school. And I was, I, we lived in Davis. I was working at my dad's furniture store. My dad had a furniture and appliance store. My granddad started it. Then my dad took it over. And, and I worked for my dad all the time I was uh, growing up. That summer... My wife, Joni, went to OBU. She wanted to go ahead and get an early start on college, so she went to OBU that summer. And I stayed at Davis, and uh, we knew we were going to get married, so I saved every dime I could save while I was working for my dad uh, that summer. And, um, boy, I'll tell you what, that summer was so hard because I only got to see her on the weekend. I could not wait till Friday night would come so that we could be together. And it was that way all throughout the uh, summer. I'll tell you, she, she was absolutely my first love. And in so many ways, my only love. And I think about that, and then I think about Jesus. Do, do you remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? See, not only do I remember the first love that I have with my wife, but I also remember when I first got saved. I was a college student, and it was life-changing. It was life-transforming. I, I did not grow up in a Baptist church. I grew up in another church, and I went to church regularly. But I never remember hearing the gospel, Brother Don. You know, it, I learned about religion, but I didn't get to know Jesus. And, and believe me, in America, that can happen. People can go to church every Sunday and miss Jesus. And that's what happened to me. But over in college, I started going to a Baptist church, and I ended up being saved. And, um, boy, it was life-changing. Do you remember when you fell in love with Jesus? Let me tell you something about first love. You've got to nourish first love. You've got to stay close to it. You've got to, to demonstrate it. And that was the problem at Ephesus. The Ephesians did not keep that love or that passion or that fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if first love is so great and wonderful, then why do we end up leaving it? Why, why does he say you left your first love? Well, there are several reasons that happens. We can leave our first love for the present world, right? Demas is an example of that. Now think about what uh, John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 15. Do not love the world. And the construction that, that he uses there has the idea of to stop an action that's already in process. I mean, you could literally translate it like this. Stop loving the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And listen to what else John says there. He says the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Some Christians leave their first love for the present world. I know some. I know some. That we're on fire for God. And as the years go by, 
They don't even act like they know him anymore because they fell in love with the world. I'll tell you something else that can cause us to leave our first love. When we love the praise of men more than we love the praise of God. And I'll tell you, preachers are especially susceptible to that. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 12 and uh, verse 43. John 12, 43. It's talking about uh, all that Jesus was doing. And it says, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing Jesus for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. We can leave our first love when we love the praise of men more than God. When we care more about what people think about us than what God thinks about us. I'll tell you, we can leave our first love for our possessions. And I know some people like that too. They were sold out to God at one time. And God blessed them so much that they ended up loving that, the gift instead of the giver. You know, Moses warned Israel about that in Deuteronomy 8. I love Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy is where Moses is an old man. And he's looking back over his life at all of the things that God had brought them through, you know, the book of Exodus and and all of that. And he tells them, he he says, now look, you got to be careful when you get in the promised land that you don't get so blessed that your your heart turns from God. In Deuteronomy 8.11, Moses said, Beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and you built houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In verse 17, he says, Otherwise you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Man, what a warning that he gave to Israel. He said, Look, you're going to get in the promised land. God's going to bless you. And if you're not careful, you're going to think you did it. You are going to think that it was your hard work that brought all that to pass. And you're going to turn your heart away from God. So he said, never forget, it's God who gives you the ability to work and to make possessions. So we can leave our first love for our possessions. I remember back in the 90s, there was this popular bumper sticker that people would put on the back of their their cars. It would say this, he who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the most toys wins. Now, let me tell you the problem with that. He still dies, right? He still dies. You see, materialism is not what you have, but what has you. And it can turn our hearts from God. We can leave our first love for that. We can leave our first love for personal self-love. Paul talks about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He talks about people who uh, loved themselves. Listen to what he says. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. 
For men will be lovers of self. Boy, we're living in that day, aren't we? I mean, people are in love with themselves today. And he says it'll be like that in the end times. People will be lovers of themselves. We can leave our first love for our own self-love. We can leave our first love for uh, pleasure. You know, I know people that have fallen in that trap too. Uh, Paul talks about that in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3 and verses 4 and 5. He talks about uh, people that are treacherous and reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, but they have denied its power. You see, it's easy to leave your first love. There are things all around us that are always trying to pull our hearts away. And that's the tragedy of this letter to the Ephesians. They left the one necessary thing that, in, that identifies us as believers. And that is love, right? Jesus said in John 13, I, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. You see, love is what identifies us as believers. And not only did Jesus talk about that, Paul did as well. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. We are a people marked by our love. In fact, it's so important. Paul wrote an entire chapter about it, right? 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love and how vital that it is. And how does he end it? He says, now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now let me tell you why this is so important. Because a cooling of love for Jesus is inevitably going to result in a cooling of love for his people. And for the lost that need Christ. You see, when we're not loving Jesus anymore, it's not going to be long till we're not loving his people anymore. And so the question is, how do we, how do we uh, stop it? How do we get back? That's the challenge, right? I, I, was read, I read this quote several months ago by John Flavel. John Flavel was a Puritan who lived from 1627 to 1691. And I want you to listen to what he said. This hit my heart so much that I wrote it down. This is what he says. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. And the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. That's the truth, isn't it? And that's exactly what Jesus is telling the church in Ephesus. Before conversion, the greatest, greatest difficulty is to win the heart. And the greatest difficulty after we're saved is to keep our heart with God. Now, I've been a Christian a long time. Somehow I had in my mind, you know, that the longer you're a Christian, that the easier this gets. <laughs> it, do, it doesn't get any easier. It gets harder. And the devil hits you in ways you never thought you would be hit. And so, so love for Jesus is all about 
keeping the heart as you grow and as you seek him. That's kind of what revival's about. That's why Pastor Don wants to have revival is because we need revival in our hearts. We need renewal. We need to be drawn closer to the Lord. You know, uh, the hymn writer talks about it, right? Come thou found of every blessing. You remember the text in there that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Man, I'm telling you, if we, if we feed our heart the wrong things, we're going to wander. There's that tendency. We're sheep, right? What do sheep do? They wander. That's why we need a shepherd. So how do we get it back? We've seen his commendation, his concern. You left your first love. What does he tell them to do? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, man, this is speaking to me. I lost my first love. I'm not where I used to be with my love, my passion, my desire to walk with Jesus. How do I get it back? Well, he tells us in verse 5, and I want to quickly bring this to a close. Chapter 2, verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, that is, return, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. There's your steps. Remember, repent, return. Do the deeds you did at first so I won't remove your candlestick. First of all, remember. Remember those earlier days in which love abounded in the congregation and in our hearts. Remember the love and commitment in your heart when you were first saved. Jesus said, first of all, you've got to remember. The next thing you got to do is repent. We talked about that yesterday morning. Repent. It's a military word that means to the rear march, literally to change direction. You're moving in this direction, and then the uh, sergeant says to the rear march, you turn and you you begin to go in this direction. That's what it means to repent, to change direction. That's what we have to do. And put the blame where it belongs, right? You know, we, we can blame our mate for where we are spiritually. We can blame our Sunday school class or our pastor or our church. But Jesus says, put the blame where it belongs. No excuses. The only reason you're not growing is because you don't want to grow. Because if you could grow, the opportunities are there. So Jesus says, repent, change direction, and then return. Do the deeds you did at first. Do the former works motivated by love. Go back and do things with a love that's hot and not cold. You remember at the beginning of your spiritual life what you did. What did you do when you first got saved? You got excited about God's Word and you started studying it. And you got together with people who like to study it. And um, you began to share Christ with others. You begin to do those things. Warm up, warm up the fellowship. That's what he's saying. Do what you used to do. Or else, he says, I will remove your lampstand. You see, the lampstand here is the church that is to be lit for Christ as a witness to the world. If the church is not going to carry out the purpose for which it exists, for which Christ created it, it has no right 
to exist. Now, let me tell you something historically. Jesus told them, you remember, repent, return, or I'll remove your candlestick. Did he remove it? He did. He did. Because where Ephesus is today, that's modern Turkey. And it's over 98% Muslim. The lampstand is gone. And I mean, that's a word to you. That's a word to me. You know, I, uh, I read about this man. Someone wrote about him. He, he wasn't much for stirring about. It wasn't his desire. No matter what the others did, he was sitting by the fire. <laughs> oh, the same old story day by day. He never seemed to tire. While others worked to build their church, he was sitting by the fire. At last he died as all must do. They say he went up higher. But if he's doing what he used to do, he's sitting by the fire. Would Jesus say to you, you know, you're busy in the church, but you don't love me anymore. Has your love grown cold? You see, revival is about falling in love with Jesus again. And then falling in love with his people again. And loving his church like we ought to love it. The church that he died for. That he shed his blood for. We need to fall in love with him. And fall in love with each other. Yes, there's work to be done. There's doctrine to defend. There are souls to be saved. But above all, there is a person to be loved. And when we love him like we should love him, all those other things are going to work out, going to fall into place. It is all about Jesus. Let's bow our heads and hearts together. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just a moment, we're going to stand and uh, sing our hymn of invitation. And uh, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to tell you, tell you about him. Pastor Don will be here at the front. Casey's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. If you're here today and you're not sure that you know him as your Lord and Savior, friend, listen. God sent his son to pay for our sins. Now, you've got to understand, your sins have separated you from God. And Jesus came and paid for those sins on a cross. And God said, if you'll turn from your sin and accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, I will forgive you, cleanse you, I will wipe the slate clean and come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. Some of you need that tonight. You step out and come when we stand to sing and Tell Pastor Don, I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian. And man, you look at your heart and say, man, you know, I don't have the fire for God, the zeal in my heart that I used to have for the Lord. I need to get it back. You remember what it was like when you were first saved and the zeal you had and how easy it was to tell people about Jesus. Oh, we, we need to get that back. Revival begins with Christians' hearts. Let's come to Him. Let's remember and let's repent and say, God, I want it to be like it used to be 
For I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of my heart. Come tonight and recommit your life to him. Maybe you need to join the church. However God speaks, you come. Lord, I thank you for this text. I needed this text. And I ask you to forgive me for the times that I've let my love grow cold. And Lord, I pray you'll just fire up the Spirit of God in my heart and in all of our hearts tonight. That we'll remember what it was like when we were on fire for you. And that we would turn from the things that are hindering that and return and do what we used to do. God, we don't want you to move the lampstand. We don't want you to remove it. God, would you tonight work in our hearts and just renew us, revive us. Give us what we need, Lord, to love you as you deserve to be loved. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. Casey will lead us. Pastor Don's here. Let's surrender to the Lord tonight. Just as I am without one place.